Some of you, like me, remember when the seatbelt law came into effect. Can you, so some of you can't. You're just too young. You've always had to wear a seatbelt. Well, I can remember before that happened. And some people really had a hard time accepting the law that you have to wear seatbelts. And one man in New Zealand named Ivan Sigadin took it to an extreme. The police ticketed him, ticketed him 32 times over five years for failure to wear a seatbelt. And even though this was costing him big money, he refused to buckle up. Finally, instead of obeying the law, the man decided to rely on deception. He made a false seatbelt that would hang over his shoulder and make it look like he was wearing a seatbelt when he really wasn't. And his trick worked. He didn't get any more tickets. But guess what happened? He had a head-on collision. He was thrown forward onto the steering wheel, and he died. His false seatbelt could not save him. If there's a moral to this story, it's this. When tested, what's fault will not save you. And this is what Jude has been trying to get across to us uh, in uh, his epistle to the church. What's false will not save you. And there are false teachers that have entered in among us. And we need to be aware of them and make sure that we are in the common faith, not being led astray by false teachers. We've been looking at the book of Jude, and Jude wanted to write a letter to the church about our common salvation. He wanted to uh, major on what's real about our faith. The story of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who became a man who died for our sins and rose to give us new life. And we remember that this morning as we take Holy Communion. We remember what God has done for us through His Son, Jesus Christ. But Jude knew there was a problem. He's writing to a church that has teachers that are giving out false seatbelts. He's writing to a church that's finding this common salvation, this faith once for all delivered to the saints being attacked. And Jude explained why this is a problem and why we need to be concerned about it. Remember, when tested, what's false will not save you. And so today, as we come to the uh, end of the epistle of Jude, he kind of changes. He's been talking about the false teachers. And then after that, he says, but you, beloved of God, but you 
This is what you need to be doing. And so uh, I want to go through just briefly today what we are supposed to be doing and what our lives should look like. And Jude just uh, spells it out so beautifully. In fact, uh, we pretty well covered everything that Jude covers in his letter in the first hymn that we sang when we sang, when we all get to heaven, we've got to keep our eye on the prize that's before us and the one who has invited us to uh, have that prize. We've got to keep those things in mind. And so he tells us three major, there's three major parts to what we're wrapping up with today. First of all, he says, don't be surprised by false teachers. So many times people are surprised whenever things aren't the way that they really expect they ought to be or the way they just picture they will be. I have had so many new church secretaries be so disappointed and get so hurt when they started sitting behind the desk uh, in a church office and they discover that Christians can be ugly. And they discover that uh, if you didn't put, if she didn't put uh, their offering in the right column where it was supposed to be, then they chew you out. They wouldn't just correct you. They could be ugly. And uh, that's not the way Christians are supposed to be, but there are some that are like that. And so I've had to tell my church secretaries, don't be surprised. They're people. There are sheep, yes, sometimes sheep bite, you know. So uh, sometimes they bite the shepherd. You've heard me say that before. But the thing is, they're still our sheep. They're still the Lord's sheep. And, uh, but there's different kinds of sheep. And Jude goes through that at the very end. But uh, he says, don't be surprised by false teachers. We would love to think that everybody that stood behind a pulpit, everybody that had a television or a radio ministry, that you could just take everything that they said, every uh, Bible study, every home group that, that met, that all of them, all those leaders and teachers could be trusted. But don't be surprised, he says that some of them are going to be trying to lead you astray. But he does say, this is to be expected, and then he goes and he tells us why. Throughout the New Testament, we're warned that in the last days, those are the days between Jesus' death and resurrection and his coming again, false teachers and scoffers will periodically appear. And... Uh, uh, scripture consistently warns us to expect this and to guard against it because it's going to happen. And Jude says, don't let it surprise you. And then he implicit in that is the fact that God has a plan. And the time of apostasy the time and we are in, let's face it, we are in the time of the great falling away, where people's hearts are growing cold, they're turning their backs on God, but uh, in, in, in droves, 
But the thing is, this was foretold in God's Word. The Lord knew this was going to happen, and so He warned us, and He told us, don't be surprised when you have hurricanes, and you have tornadoes, and you have COVID-19, and you have uh, all these other things. You have wars and rumors of wars, and then who knows what after that. He said that all these things are going to happen. And what does he tell us to do when they happen? Run and hide? No. He says, look up because your redemption draws nigh. Your Lord is getting closer and closer. And he said that these things would be like birth pangs. And some of you are familiar with, uh, with birth pangs. And the thing is, the closer it comes to the time for the child to come forth, the closer and closer the contractions get until it just seems like it's one long, long contraction. And so, and I'm not speaking from experience, I'm just telling you what I have observed. But uh, the thing is, the Lord said that the, so we're seeing just wave after wave. This is exactly what He said would happen. And this should make us excited because it lets us know hell is hot, heaven is sweet, and we have a Savior that can get us to heaven. We need to be aware of that. God has a plan. He was aware of the apostasy. I'm not saying He's causing it, but He knew it was coming, and His plan incorporates how we are supposed to handle it. And so that's what we need to see. He said, don't be surprised. God does have a plan. And the first thing that he says to do after that, what we're supposed to be doing is keep ourselves in God's love. Now remember at the very beginning, he calls us those who are kept. And he makes it clear that no one can snatch us from his hand. But now then he's saying, keep yourselves there. And this is this is just it. No, no one can snatch you. No one can take you out of God's hand. But you can walk away. You can leave him. But as long as you keep yourself in his love, you're going to be all right. And so that's what he tells us. Keep yourselves in his love. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Secure your own spiritual position. That's the first thing for you to do. Before you start looking around at all the things going on around you, secure your own position. Remember, Peter was doing just fine walking on water until he started noticing he was walking on water. And the waves and all, and the stuff all around him that got him scared. But if he kept his eyes on the Lord, that wouldn't have happened. And so we keep ourselves in the love of God. Before you can address false teachers or false teaching, make sure that you are secure. He writes, 
but you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. I saw this uh, illustration this past week, this little devotional that just fits here so well. He says, you're holding a cup of coffee when someone comes along and bumps into you, making you spill your coffee everywhere. Why did you spill your coffee? You spilled the coffee because there was coffee in your cup. Had there been tea in the cup, you'd have spilled tea. The point is, whatever is inside the cup is what will spill out. Therefore, when life comes along and shakes you, which will happen, whatever is inside you will come out. It's easy to fake it until you get rattled. So we have to ask ourselves, what's in my cup? When life gets rough, when life gets tough, what spills out? Joy, gratefulness, peace, and humility? Or do anger, bitterness, harsh words, and reactions come forth? You choose. And where are you? Now I'm just going to, from here on, I'm going to be, be, be talking. You choose. You choose. And this is how you choose. You choose to keep yourself in God's love. So let's work towards filling our cups with, and the author says, gratitude, forgiveness, joy, words of affirmation, kindness, gentleness, and love for others. The thing is, the way you do that is you make, if you are in, if you keep yourself in God's love, what's going to manifest itself is the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Those are the things that are going to slough out when you get bumped. But if you are not keeping yourself in the love of God, the works of the flesh will come out, which are anger and bitterness and uh, harsh words. And I can't remember the exact works of the flesh. They covers a lot more than that. But whenever you're outside of God's love, these things are going to come forth. And this is foremost for Jude. He underscores this and he elaborates on it. You see, as you face all the things that are going on in the world today, you need to make sure, he's saying, that your number one priority is to keep yourselves in the love of God. And then he describes some of the things that we need to be doing in order to keep ourselves in the love of God. Number one, building yourselves up in your holy faith. Number two, praying in the Holy Spirit. And number three, waiting for Christ's return. How do you build yourself up in your most holy faith? Well, you start 
by keeping in mind who God is and who you are. And you start finding that out in His Word, not from some radio or TV or uh, St. Philip Methodist preacher. You find it, first of all, in His Word. And you measure everything that any of us say by God's Word. If it doesn't line up with His Word, you're listening to a false teacher. And if they start trying to explain Scripture away, find somebody who will explain Scripture, not explain it away. So uh, this is just it. So you start by keeping in mind who God is, who you are. And uh, I guess one of the most beautiful examples of somebody doing this is the psalmist David. And we find it in the eighth Psalm where he says, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you're mindful of him? And the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him just a little lower than the angels and you have crowned him with glory and honor. He remembers who God is. God created all this stuff. Every bit of it. He created me. I'm just a part of His creation. But for some strange reason, He has given man a very special place in all of His creation. He created us, and He has set us apart for something much bigger than we are. He has plans for His creation. And through His Son, Jesus Christ, He has invited us to work with Him in His plans. If you're really aware of who God is and who you are, you're not going to be one of those who's just always going to Him with your wish list and your want list and, that, and your gripe list you're going to go before Him reverently and humbly and, uh, uh, and just uh, uh, respectfully and lovingly and gratefully. Now your wants and your needs are important to the Lord. And He is there for you. But you will never be praying in the Spirit unless you put his plans before your preferences. He says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments and I will love you. And my father will love you and we will come and make our abode with you. We will be in you through the presence of the Holy Spirit. He promised, draw near to him and He will draw near to you. So you remember who He is. Remember what He's done for you. Remember He has plans for His creation. And uh, He knows how He's going to work it out. Now we need to make sure that our plans 
line up or our prayers, let me put it that way, our prayers line up with his plans. And if we are loving him and if we realize how gracious he's being to us, we're not going to go to him first and foremost with what we want. We're going to go to him to find out what he wants. And that's a love relationship, isn't it? But we start out, we need to know first of all, what does our superior, our heavenly father want from us? That's where it should start. Not just screeching in on our knees. Oh God, you've got to do this, 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 this. That's not the way. That You're never going to be praying in the spirit whenever you go uh, before him like that. You're pro probably your prayers aren't going to get above the ceiling. But whenever you go before him, as I said earlier, humbly, reverently, and gratefully, respecting his word and his will, if you draw near him like that, he will draw near to you and you will know his presence with you. Your faith is focused properly then. And then you can move into the second thing that Jude tells us to do. And that's to pray in the Holy Spirit. Praying in the Holy Spirit, can it's there's several different aspects to it, but uh, First and foremost, he says, the Holy Spirit has been with you. He will be in you. But uh, And so being filled with the Holy Spirit uh, precedes it. But also in the presence of the Holy Spirit. You can't just come uh, in an ungodly way before him and think that you're praying in the Spirit. You've got to approach him in the right way. And whenever you do it in the right way, He comes. And you'll be in His presence. And you can pray then. And you'll be in the right attitude to pray in the Spirit. So, uh, the thing is, Jude tells us is to pray in the Holy Spirit. And at that point in time, you will be before Him like clay before a potter. You're not going to be telling the, the potter what to do. You're going to be seeking how he wants to form you. Living this frame of mind, as you face the bumps, the false teaching, and all these other things and people uh, that come from this great falling away that we're in right now, the right thing is going to come sloshing out of you. The next thing that keeps us properly anchored in God's plan and keeps us aware that God does have a plan. Jude says, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. <coughs> yes, God has a plan. He knew this falling away would come. And he's warned us about it to not be surprised. And so to pray properly, first of all, you don't just pray, God, stop it. Stop all this stuff. Look at how the prophets prayed. They saw bad stuff going around. And yes, they talked to the Lord about it, but then they listened 
And they did what the Lord had for them to do in the situation that they were in. And the Lord showed them his, their part in His plan. And so we live daily, uh, hopefully, waiting for the culmination of His plan, which is going to be the return of our Lord. And like I said, our prayer is not stop it. We pray like the prophets and the saints in heaven. How long? And uh, uh, when, we, when we look in the next book, in the book of Revelation, we see the saints in heaven looking down and those martyrs saying, how long, O Lord? They're not saying, stop it. They're not trying to tell him what to do. They know he's going to do something. They just don't know when. And so their big prayer is how long? That's the prayer of the saints in heaven. But look back in the Old Testament at Habakkuk and look at the very, well, and I'm not, I'm going too far in the Old Testament back. Habakkuk is, uh, it's amazing the parallels between what he saw and what we're seeing today. Starting with verse 1 of chapter 1 in Habakkuk. The oracle which Habakkuk the prophet saw. Notice how his prayer begins. How long, O Lord? Same prayer all the way through the Bible from Old Testament to New. How long? How long, O Lord, will I call for help and you will not hear? I cry out to you, violence, yet you do not save. Why do you make me see iniquity and cause me to look on wickedness? Yes, destruction and violence are before me. Strife exists and contention arises. Does any of that sound familiar? It sounds like last week's paper. Therefore, the law is ignored and justice is never upheld. For the wicked surround the righteous Therefore, justice comes out perverted. And then the Lord answers uh, Isaiah's, Habakkuk's, how long prayer. He laid out what was going on, and he laid out this could be our prayer, couldn't it? Because we're seeing every bit of this around us. And then the Lord answers, look among the nations, observe, be astonished. Wonder, because I am doing something in your days you would not believe if you were told. And so the thing is, he says, open up your eyes and look and see what I'm doing. You're looking at all the people. You're seeing what they're all doing. I'm still on my throne. This was uh, Isaiah's great concern whenever he went into the temple to pray. And he was praying because he was so concerned about his nation. And as he was concerned and he talked to the Lord about it, he saw the Lord high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. So, the saints in heaven, how long? Habakkuk, how long? Us, 
How long, O Lord, before you return and set all this stuff straight? And after you ask him that, then you listen because he has some instructions for you. Love your enemy. Do good to those who uh, spitefully use you and persecute you. And, and uh, I can't go into more detail, but the thing is, these people who are coming against you and coming against the Lord, they are lost. And they are not going to, you've got to realize, they can't understand this book because they are spiritually dead. They have not been brought to life spiritually. And so whenever you see them, instead of seeing people, yes, they are evil. Yes, they're evil. They're working against God. They're striving against God. Fear for them because there's going to come a time when the Lord is going to judge them. Remember at the very beginning of the book of Jude, uh, he talks about how things are going to happen. Things will straighten out. The Lord hasn't forgotten about those who are coming against Him and His. And it's the same in the here and now. Either the Lord will do a work here, or He will return and do a work in all creation. One way or the other. We keep that, the fact that He is in control and that we are His. And the thing is, if you do all that, as it says at the very, at the very end, He will keep you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.